you've stumbled onto the sleeping giant. Let's broaden our minds. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sleeping Giant Podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte, and I'd like to say thank you for joining me once more. Now, this is going to be a pretty fun show, I think. I have got Mr. Steve Marcotte back with me. For those of you that don't know, Steve Marcotte is the old man. And we like to have ourselves a good time talking about flicks. And this time, we're going to be talking about John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. Sadly, it's the last John Wick movie we're going to talk about for a while. But we've both been really looking forward to this one. And I hope that you enjoy listening to it because we had a really good time. And it's a damn fun movie. So I want to find out real quick before we move on, where, just where are we at? Uh, The world hasn't necessarily gotten crazier since our last time together, but the masks and gloves damn sure have come off, and my fellow Americans, as well as my global brothers and sisters, it seems that we've decided en masse that we're just fucking done with the police killing of unarmed black men and women, and boy, boy howdy, let me tell you, shit's getting real out there. Now, I won't climb up on a soap, ah, fuck it, I, I will climb up on the box just for a minute, because I think we all of us know here that murdering innocent, unarmed people is wrong, and I kind of think we know, too, that racially those numbers are a bit skewed in favor of the white persuasion, so y'all, y'all do the right thing. Black lives matter. You know it. I know it. We all need to do our part in helping to heal the wounds that have lain open for far, far too long, even if it means unlearning a bunch of shit that we thought was working, especially if it was working well for us. Might need to look at that again. Might need to look at it a second, third time. Anyway, y'all get fucking comfy, because we are about to begin. Dad, are you there? I'm here. Sweet deal. How are you doing over there? Up there, wherever it is. Uh, that you are. Pretty, pretty well, thanks. Good. How's how's Athens life treating you? Uh, not bad. Not bad. Um, we're all here, locked in. And Hannah, uh, I'm sure you knew Hannah moved in with us. Um, so we're we're now uh, six people in the house. Where okay. a, a couple of months ago it was just uh, Anne, myself, and the twins. So uh, it's taking some adjusting, but yeah. <laughs> it, it's a it's a great group. It, it's a wonderful group of people. Everybody is just having a good time. We don't go out much, of course. Did anybody make it to any of the protesting downtown? No, um, no. We heard a lot of about what happened, but uh, nobody went down. Yeah, that's one of those situations where uh, a lot of people, I think, are going to have opinions, and some of those opinions may be different <laughs> than, yeah. than the opinions of others. I think in the interest of, of personal safety, considering a pandemic, you're, you're wise to stay at home. But I've, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of, uh, I, well, I don't want to say a lot of close friends like I have this huge amount of them. Uh, but conversations with friends that I do consider to be close. And the conundrum seems to be abiding by what's safe and also uh, sticking to your principles and making certain that you come out on, not come out on the right side of history, but are known for standing on 
on what we believe to be the right side of history. So I don't think it's one of those things where there's any clear, correct thing to do uh, other than, you know, do what you think is right and do what you think is best. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. With that said, I, I have to I have to say that um, the film that we'll be talking about, John Wick Three, is is full of all kinds of violence, and I find myself oh, yeah. in a oh, in a yeah. situation where I I'm not really too I'm not very enthusiastic uh, about that at this particular time, um, but I will say that as far as uh, violence in art. John Wick Three is a masterpiece. Oh, it is extremely violent. Of course, it's yeah it, it, from the very beginning. Yep. So uh, the beginning of this movie actually takes place immediately after John Wick Two, unless uh, unless I'm mistaken. And this this film came out uh, in two thousand. I want was it seventeen. Oh no! This one I uh, came out last year, didn't? Well, oh, me, it did, me, didn't it? Me, 2019. Yeah, yeah, I can't read my yeah, own handwriting. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a very recent, a relatively recent movie. Yep. Yeah, and one of the things I wanted to start out with is just the the scope of the movie. The continuity is incredible, as you described. It it picks up right at the end of the last episode. Even to the bruises on John's hands. Really? Yeah. If you so, when I watched it the last time or, or the other day, I paid a lot of attention to continuity, and and they do a really great job of of having it flow. It, it could you could put them back to back, and it would just flow one to the other. Uh, they took the opportunity, of course, to change from sunset. Um, I, I don't recall if there were clouds in the sky to it raining and that gave it an opportunity to put a real Blade Runner vibe to the whole th- thing in New York the whole oh, setting yeah. in New York uh, but the continuity of flowing from that last movie to this one and then as they continue the continuity throughout the movie about what happens to John uh, I, I thought it was incredible. And one small detail, for example, and this is more I get into the filmmaking, just what a great job they do in the filmmaking. Um, and we can get to that point, but it has to do with when John is chased into the lamp store and then goes upstairs. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's within about the first 10 minutes of the movie, I believe. Well, the first is he goes to the library. Right. And... Um, before that, he sees um, one of the homeless guys, but it's Jason Mansukas. Yeah, Jason Mansukas. He's the TikTok man. TikTok, Jason John, John Wick, TikTok. And he's not, he doesn't have a lot of screen time, but that TikTok John Wick really just kind of nails the beginning. There's a time crunch. John, he's he's got, I don't know, I think it was an hour or when we pick up the movie, a very little time to do anything. And I, and I remember at the end of the second movie, so what the heck is he going to do yeah. to get away? Yeah, and it, it is extremely, extremely tense, as you said, that crunch as we follow John. I want to talk very quickly, before we get into the film proper, 
I do want to say that uh, we're, we're looking at the same cast of filmmakers or the same crew of, of filmmakers that we did um, with the last movies. Of course, we have Derek Colstead, who created John Wick and the story and, and that mythos. Uh, but he had some, there were some screenwriting credits that, that he shared this go-round. Uh, one of which was uh, Chris Collins, who notably worked on several episodes of Sons of Anarchy. Now, oh. I have not watched that show, but I have been told <laughs> that it is an amazing program. And it, it would be an investment, and that's the reason I haven't gotten into it yet, because the list is just so long of things that I need to watch, uh, much less want to watch. Uh, but I've, I've heard incredible things about it. And from what I've seen of that show, it's very nuanced and, uh, and, and can be pretty heavy. So uh, I, I, after seeing this, I'm, I'm more so looking forward to checking out Sons of Anarchy. But with that said, um, we, we still have uh, Chad Stahelski as the director, who has proven at this point, I think, that he absolutely knows what he's doing mm-hmm. when, it, when it comes to this type of film. Uh, the, this particular movie does also introduce some new cast members that I want to go ahead and mention before we get started. We have uh, Halle Berry, Mark Dacascos, we have uh, Asia Kate Dillon, and Angelica Houston. Um, and I do want to mention that... I absolutely love Mark Dacascos, and I had mm-hmm. no idea mm-hmm. that he was in this movie. Yeah. yeah. So, so when uh, when I saw that he was in the film, I was incredibly stoked. I think that we might have mentioned before on the show and, and some of the other John Wick episodes that we've done that I was a really big fan of the film that he did back in the, I want to say it was the early to mid-90s. It was called Only the Strong. And uh, it is about uh, a capoeira teacher and his students and a rival capoeira gang. And it's, it's a really cool movie. And it was my introduction to capoeira as a, as a martial art. And that was incredibly cool. And then, of course, he went on to play Eric Draven in the, uh, the short-lived Crow series. But it was still, still very cool to see him uh, in, in that capacity. So very excited to see Mark DeCoscos as zero. Uh, but yeah, so that, that drops us right into the film proper. As you said, one of the first things that we see is the TikTok man. Uh, and, and I don't recall if that's before or after John goes to the library. I, I think it's before. Uh, well, you know, I'm sorry. I don't remember. I, I know he gets into the cab. And he's, the cab's mm-hmm. in traffic, and it may be after he sends... And evidently, everybody in New York is part of this underground network. Right, it seems that way, doesn't it? Um, and I'm sure somebody will correct us on the continuity, but he asks to take the dog to the Continental, and then he goes to the library. And, Correct. And I'm thinking, going to the library, why is he going to the library? And then he, I can't even come close to pronouncing the name of the book that he asks for. And the, the, we don't give Keanu Reeves, I don't think people give Keanu Reeves enough credit as an actor, in that as he's waiting in line at the library, he is not, he's 
rushed, but he's not impatient. As he waits for the librarian to finish, and then he's able to, to ask for the book. And you get that sense that he, he wants to hurry, but he's not rude about it. He's just standing right. there patiently waiting for his turn. And to express that in what is considered just a pure action movie, I think we forget those ticks. And then as we talk about all the other actors and their roles, what a fine, fine job they did of expressing not only action but emotion in their performances was outstanding. I, I would absolutely agree with that statement. I think that John Wick seems to be a character that Keanu Reeves has made his own. And mm -hmm. I would love to be able to pick his brain about his attitude toward John Wick and how he approached that role and how he embodied that character. Because there are some roles, and if we're being honest, a lot of roles where we see Keanu Reeves and it's like, oh, it's Keanu Reeves. <laughs> and yeah, that's, yeah. that's pretty much just the character, you know? Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. But John Wick is just is something altogether different. And when I'm watching one of these movies, I really do see John Wick and not necessarily Keanu Reeves or uh, uh, Ted Theodore Logan. Um, if so, you, yeah, if you see Keanu do anything else, even if he's doing interviews, he's such a soft-spoken genuinely nice person it's, it certainly seems that way um i i know the the nation does seem to adore them some keanu reeves absolutely and, and to that point i want to mention that when he's in the cab and he's headed to the library he has his dog with him and he has that one gold coin mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that it's incredibly important to point out that He's weighing his options and what he can do, and he decides to use the last coin he has on his person to make sure that the dog is taken care of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. Which I think I think is really awesome. It, it definitely defines that character even further. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, he's at the library. He gets this. He gets this book. He's given the location of this book that he retrieves, and I still haven't figured out how these guys are able to leave all of this stuff throughout the city without anybody finding it. Or, yeah. I mean, because sometimes I'll just go through a library with no goal or intention and just see what I find. Mm -hmm. So um, the fact that that never happened to any of these things is, is a bit beyond me, to be mm -hmm. honest with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, but was, here, that was funny. <laughs> So he finds this book that's that's hollowed out, and again, I can't remember the title. And in fact, in my notes, I just have written a highly specific book. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, but he gets this book, and of course, it's hollowed out. And inside of it, he has a few more coins. Uh, he has a rosary and another compact or marker. Now, I think that it's important to to talk about the fight that he has in the library, because one... The, the guy that he fights is just, I, I don't even know how to describe this, this towering oak of a human being. Um, I think the character's name is Ernest, maybe? Uh, Earl? Is, this is it Earl? Is it Earl? Earl, Ernest, something like that. Yeah, he's this, yeah, yeah. this incredibly tall fellow, a giant even. And, uh, and, and he points out that 
nobody will tell if he takes advantage of John while he still has a few minutes on the clock. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's important to mention because you really start to see that a lot of these characters or a lot of these people had they don't have the same respect yeah that that John shows to other people yeah. and other mercenaries and assassins that we've seen in the previous two films they all seem to have this this respect for one another and i think you see in this movie that that is challenged yeah and and you're right his name is Ernest you you are correct Ernest okay you were correct so uh, so that fight is, is absolutely brutal. And at this point, maybe we are about 10 minutes into the film. And I'm really wondering at this point, like, how is he going to make it through? Is he not tired? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Does he not wear out? But, but in the previous two movies also, they make a very, very strong point throughout that he is a man of focus, determination, and sheer will. So... I guess not. Yeah. yeah, It's incredible. And and in one note, uh, again, this is going back to, as we describe John's character, he puts the book back in its place. Right. Which I just thought was an amazing touch. He could have left the book anywhere, but instead he puts it back in place, which I thought was, as you said, a respect for just society and and putting things in the proper place. I, I know there are counterexamples, of course, for all the havoc that he wreaks, but I just thought that was a nice touch. Absolutely. It, well, it sets the scene and it establishes a tone. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things. That it, films, I think, can be forgiven if some, if some of those things don't exhibit a continuity 100% of the time, because that's not always necessary you know mm -hmm. um i mean you can of course really bungle that and and then and then the story becomes very flimsy and unbelievable um but i don't think that that's the case here so uh so john is, is still on the run and his time is uh, at this point i don't know how long he has maybe 15 minutes 10 minutes and uh, in the fight with with that giant man i think he's stabbed and uh, he goes to the doctor. I think what what is that character? It's just the doctor, right? It's or the doc doctor, or something like but that. it's the yeah. same actor that was the key master, or the correct in in the matrix. In the matrix, yeah. Yes. So the doctor does not want to help John because his time is running out, and John has to remind him that he still has time. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> the, t the clock actually runs out while John's being stitched up, and he he takes care of the rest of it himself. <laughs> and and this is what I think is interesting, though, because we're still talking about respect and we're still talking about an adherence to the rules. But even the doctor says they they won't believe that I stopped mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when your time ran out. So he has to shoot him <laughs> not once, yeah, yeah. but twice at the doctor's insistence to, it, to make it seem believable. And an interesting detail is the doctor pulled his shirt up. Mm -hmm. Because it would be a clean wound. Because um, fabric in a wound leads to septus. Right. And so it was a clean wound. And again, yeah. these, these, these little details that go into these movies 
that are, are really, really something. Oh, 100%. And, and you, you start to see where all the, the money and a budget goes. Yeah, yeah. When, when you, you, know, you hear about all of these millions of dollars that go into a film. Um, but if you have the money to throw around and you can hire people to be on hand, uh, you, you see all of these crazy titles in, in the credits of these different things that people do. And when you see a film that has all of these different experts on hand mm-hmm. to be able to, to give you their input and their advice and, and to really kind of make the world more believable down to these, these subtle nuances is mm-hmm. incredibly cool. And I think that's, yeah, it's one of the reasons why these movies are so tremendous. So do we want to talk about, do we want to, do we want to talk about the, uh, the chase on yet yet more motorcycles well, and then the introduction of a horse. Yeah, the, the thing, the, the one element I, I, I just wanted to point out, just continuing with the continuity and, the, and the, the brilliant filmmaking, is that when he's being chased by the Asian assassins and they go into the lamp store, when John passes a lamp, he's, it's spinning, a chandelier is spinning, and when mm-hmm. one of the Asian assassins come through, if you look real close, that chandelier is, the spin is timed in what would be the continuity of the next person coming. Ah, I see. And so it's really, really well put together. And then um, John, in, when he goes and puts the gun together, which is actually a homage to uh, an old uh, Western movie, uh, when he takes the various pieces of the gun to assemble the 44 that will work, it's a homage right. to the good, bad, and the ugly. Um, when it's that that character is doing the same thing. Ah, I see. Okay, I have a stunning admission to make. I have never actually sat down to to watch those movies. Oh, neither have I. Neither have I. And and they're iconic. They're they're used. Uh, in other movies, in um, a spaghetti western, and I forget which one was used in, um, or the storyline was used in Back to the Future Three. Uh, the fact that Marty has that stove uh, top under his clothes and stops the mm-hmm. bullet—that—that's from one of the Clint Eastwood spaghetti westerns. I forget which one. Yeah, some of that stuff you kind of pick up through osmosis. Yeah, even yeah, if you exactly. even if you've never seen the films, but I was not aware yeah, exactly. of of the forty four from the Good and the Bad and the Ugly, which yeah. I really need to watch. Yeah, um, there are some films. In fact, the longer I do this podcast and the more people I talk to, I'm realizing that that list is uncomfortably long. Um, oh, there's so, <laughs> so there's so much out there. You were saying that you there are so many television shows that you wanted to, to watch. There's so much available. And I know you have Disney Plus, and we have Disney Plus. And we just got HBO Max uh, because we have HBO. And mm-hmm. there's so many, so many programming choices. Uh, there's nowhere to, to begin and end with it all. Oh, no. So I, I wanted to ask you, how much detail did you want to put? Because... We, we go to, as you described, the fight with all of the knives and the choreography of that fight sequence is incredible. And then oh yeah, that, that leads to the horses, that leads to the first motorcycle uh, chase. 
Well, you know, and that's the thing is that uh, there is so much detail packed into a relatively simple plot that we yeah. could probably talk about each scene for a very long time. Yeah, I will say that uh, that that knife fight is incredible, and you know, I don't know if you ever watched Daredevil, but I did. Well, I watched the first season. I, I okay. Yeah, yeah. So then you you know the fight in the hallway. Yes, um, yes, I do. That. It to me is also kind of a callback or homage to Old Boy, oh. uh, which which was another incredible, incredible fight scene uh, between one guy and dozens of people over. Sure, a, a winner, as it's called. Uh, it's it's just tremendous. So all three of those, all three of these, whether it be Old Boy, Daredevil, and and this scene in John Wick is is just it, it's incredible to me because one of the things I appreciate in fights and films is that you have highly stylized fights at times, but it doesn't matter what the movie is. I'm watching it. And if one or more people are duking it out for more than 10 seconds, I'm like, okay, this, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah I will give you an example of, of, of that. I'm a big fan of Westworld and HBO and um not to go into a, a complete tangent, but the the fight sequences in the last season I thought were lacking, or maybe it's just because we watched something like John Wick, and those fight sequences are so intense that everything else pales by comparison. So you're you're absolutely right. This these fight sequences are, are really something to see in John yeah, Wick. Yeah, well, in the it's, John Wick movies. This particular scene to me. And uh, apart from the the filmmaking, apart from the the choreography, uh, the the thing that I love about this scene and what it what it also has in common with Old Boy and Daredevil is that you get to see them slow down mm-hmm. over the course of the fight, and that's that's what I really like. You see them get tired, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. You see you see that they're they're in pain from these blows that they're trading, and that to me. Even though it's still highly unrealistic, it it lends to the scene a bit of realism, and I, I really like that. Sure. For some reason, that just that just does it for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but yeah, the uh, the knives and the exhaustion that I felt from seeing all of those knives being thrown, uh, it, it was one of the few scenes in the movie where I I felt tired mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. I was watching. Yeah. It. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, you just you you're you're watching these things and and from movie to movie and from scene to scene, you're like, how are they going to top that? You know, uh, because that seems to be the trend in films, especially action films. You know, the explosions are bigger, the fights are more intense. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So, so how are they going to top this? And then of course that brings us to the the motorcycle and the horses. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which I mean, just just the fact that he can take the time to. Uh, to slap a horse on the ass and have it kick somebody yeah, in the face yeah. who's who's standing in the wrong spot to me it's just you don't see that very often mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um in films but uh but anyway so so the whole idea or i guess john's plan is to is to head out of the u.s and and uh get to uh, what is he trying to go? Cas- Casablanca, Casablanca, I think he's mm-hmm. trying to go to, Casablanca, right? Casablanca, yeah. 
Uh, so he his his goal through <laughs> through moving through the city on horseback and various means of transportation is to get to uh, this theater, uh, the what is it, the Tarkovsky Theater. Um, and I, no, I, I noticed that the marquee said a tale of two wolves, and I'm mm. not familiar with that story. I don't know if no, it's invented. I'm, I'm not either, and I'm sure there's a detail to that that we're we're lacking. Yes. Yep. I wanted to note that because I want to go back and and examine that. Mm-hmm. But he's there to see the director, who is played by Angelica Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, we get the mm-hmm. idea that they have a a history. Um, in fact, we get the idea that John was some type of student or protege of this character. And now, do you know anything more about the director? Oh, Angelica Houston. Oh, as her, the actor, or as or no, the the character of of the director. I mean, because yeah. th- in this movie, I think this this is the film out of the three of them that that throws the most. Um, unknown mythology or unfamiliar mythology at us. Yeah, I, I think uh, not to take any, anything away from the story um, and the uh, creators of the movie, but this is a, uh, something that's used in a, in a sense that it provides a backstory of the training of the protagonist and it, mm-hmm. it's used in the Marvel movies uh, for uh, the Black Widow. It's used uh, in Red Sparrow, it's used in television series, including Killing Eve, where you've got the protagonist has a background where they were trained uh, either in an orphanage, and I'm using air quotes, an orphanage situation, uh, mm-hmm. or where they were forced to leave their home. So you've got vulnerable individuals, and this is through, used throughout literature, going back to even Dickens, Sure. Where you've got vulnerable individuals who land somewhere and they're trained in a particular skill set. And so in this particular sense, Angelica Houston, I, I'm assuming in, in context, she runs this training facility for men and mm-hmm. women to teach them to be tough. They have similar tattoos to John and they've got the same... Uh, mythos as they go through uh, the training, um, endurance, mm-hmm. determination, etc. And and John is going home in essence because he is seeking passage, and they owe him passage because he has a ticket, which is the rosary, of course. And so it's just. Um, I, I, I don't mean to in any way demean it, but it's a setup. Oh, absolutely, because we have the ballerina film. Yeah, it's a device. That, that is coming out. Yeah, so it's a device to mm-hmm. get him from point A to point B, to get him to Casablanca, and then to continue the story with Sophia. But Angelica Houston is wonderful in that role. Oh, absolutely. I, I can't think of anything that, that she's been in uh, that I did not care for. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that it might be... Uh, a bit mundane or bandwagonish, but I will always love her as Morticia Adams <laughs> yeah. uh, from both of the Adams yeah, family films. Yeah. I mean, say what you will about the Adams family, it's either your thing or it isn't, but there was not a more perfect pairing uh, than Raul Julia mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Angelica Houston as uh, Gomez and Morticia. They yeah. were just 
they were a joy. <laughs> the family is, is great. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, so we we've got this scenario, and and like I said, it's it's all very it, it's unfamiliar, um, and you don't really know anything about it. As you said, it's a device, and I'm assuming that that's going to be expanded upon mm-hmm. uh, either in the ballerina or well, obviously the ballerina. Um, but I don't know how connected those two are going to be um, and whether or not that uh, whether or not John Wick 4 and the ballerina will share any any uh, any similarities mm-hmm. or crossover as far as the story goes. But uh, I'm very interested in that and I'm very interested in learning more about this. So what what I'm thinking, though, or what I want to say is that while all that's unfamiliar, it was never a turnoff. Mm-hmm. Like the movie never lost me oh, yeah, at any point sure. because of it. So I sure. think that's definitely a, a plus for it. So, so John's John's ticket, this rosary. Uh, she's very apprehensive to to take because I think that she knows more or less that the high table that John so gravely offended by killing uh dan what was it d'antonio mm-hmm. um in the in the second film she knows full well that, that they could be coming for her mm-hmm. um should should she should she age on but again we get back to that respect and that honor and uh and john says to her uh you are bound and i am owed mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we know that ultimately she has to do this thing for john mm-hmm. um so speaking of the high table, we we learn a little bit more about the high table in this movie, kind of. And I say kind of because I still think that that's somewhat nebulous and vague, mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. as far as as who they are and, and what they do. But we get a sense that they're shot callers, um, and and we learn a little bit more about how their ideals and rules are enforced in the character of the adjudicator which i don't think the adjudicator has a name in this film unless i'm mistaken no no they don't okay it's just the adjudicator just okay the adjudicator. the adjudicator is played by asia kate dillon and we saw them in orange is the orange new black is which new i black, think yeah. that we talked about mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> which yeah. was outrageous um yeah it, there's just absolutely Nothing like a uh, Nazi skinhead to exactly, brighten yeah. your day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, and as far as Asia Kate Dillon goes, I don't believe that I have seen them in anything else personally. Me as well. I've only seen them in in Orange Is the New Black, and I had to I had to be reminded that that they were in in that series. And I go, oh, of course. So the adjudicator is uh, they're not there to. They bring the pain. I don't think they... Yeah, they're, they're there to judge. <laughs> they are there to judge. And as being judged, they must suffer the consequences of their actions. And I forget where the line is said, but you know, John says consequences. Um, again, he doesn't have a lot of dialogue in the movie. But um, uh, the adjudicator is there to judge. They've been judged. And now they have to... Uh, suffer the consequences correct and there are three characters unless i'm forgetting that are judged we have winston winston yeah who is he is judged on the part of the hour Mm -hmm. 
that he gave John because I suppose that if Winston was following protocols, he should have killed John on the spot. Yeah. Um, but he did but to the other character in the correct. In the and uh, and we also have the Bowery King, mm-hmm. and then we have uh, the director. Mm-hmm. So uh, the judgment is pretty harsh too. It, so it, it's important to note that the leaders or or the ones in position of authority, Winston, the director, and the Bowery King, their lives are spared. Yes. But their houses are pretty much trashed. Not so much the Continental. Because I guess it, 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 and this is the part where I get a little confused where like one place seems to be more important or is a more sacred space mm-hmm. than another. Mm-hmm. I mean, because obviously the Continental is a hub and mm-hmm. it's considered a consecrated space. But then you have the Bowery, for example, that's, I guess, is that what you would consider a space that's under the table? Under, yeah, uh, yes. It's not a consecrated area. Because that's a term that we hear in this film, under the table. Under the and table. we get the idea that they don't mean that as in they're serving under the table. They mean it as a more, in a less literal sense, like it's it's underground. Yeah, more shadow than the other shadow entities. Yeah, it gets it gets a bit nebulous and somewhat confusing. But again, I and I'll admit, I john wick 3 is one of those that i didn't really understand every detail Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and there were elements in the story that lost me Mm -hmm. but i didn't really care (laughs) yeah again as we alluded to there's a lot of device to get you from uh, story line a to storyline b to storyline c and it was important to introduce the adjudicator because that bring us, brings us to the future because these individuals have been adjudicated and so mm-hmm. that tells their story um, going forward. But it is an action movie. Uh, it's not an intricate plot. It's not the usual suspects uh, plot um, lines. Um, this is pretty transparent in some senses. But it, that doesn't make it less of a movie it's very entertaining it's it's extremely fun to watch absolutely um, absolutely uh, but you just have to get john and his um, the strings that tie him to the world you've got to start pulling on them and and it will ultimately get back to him and that's what you're doing and it, it's all plot devices and sure so I, I don't, so that, I don't know if you want to talk about the adjudicator or what happens, or um, jump to Casablanca in the well. Desert. It's it's pretty straightforward, and I actually in my notes I kind of split this up because they're they're two separate storylines in a way. Well, they're not really separate storylines, but they're two events that are separated by by time and space. I think you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and and basically what we have is in, in the one hand we've got John seeking passage to Casablanca, and then. The, the I guess the, the B story is the adjudicator, Winston, and the Bowery King. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the director's judgment is pretty swift. Um, she is uh, she's stabbed through the hands by Zero, who is a, uh, I believe as far as the film goes, he's a, a Japanese assassin or mercenary. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard him referred to as a ninja. I don't know if that's actually true. But uh, the adjudicator visits him, and <laughs> that's that's always a really good scene when uh, 
when when the the character that you're seeking out is is disguised or or pretending to be someone else mm-hmm. and uh, and then the veil drops and all pretense is pushed aside and and you get down to business that's always um that's always a good device as as you would say yeah that that got um, me i i was like oh okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so the the adjudicator sort of unleashes zero upon uh winston the director and and the bowery king so the bowery king and winston are both ordered to to step down from their positions um to which with no shocker or surprise they both refuse yeah yeah. and the adjudicator gives them what seven days seven days to get your affairs in order seven days and they have absolutely no intention of doing that Um, so that's sort of where, uh, where, where the punishment comes into play. And I'm assuming that the adjudicator goes after the Bowery King first because he's under the table. And I guess that they, and this is just speculation, but it seems like they go for the Bowery King first because I guess they afford Winston a certain degree of respect mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that they may not provide to, um, that they may not provide to the Bowery King. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I think, I think we're seeing the a hierarchy played out in a, in somewhat unwritten terms. Yes, and and I will say at this moment that I should probably pay more attention to my notes. I've just <laughs> I get real ex- I've gotten real excited about some of this stuff, and and I've kind of veered off a little bit here. Believe it or not, I did take them. <laughs> um, and, and and fairly studious in my note taking, I would think. Sometimes I really get lost in the film, and I forget to do that. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, where are we then, as far as that's concerned? Is there anything else you want to add about the adjudicator and and that storyline before we switch back to John? Uh, no, I'm I'm sure we'll get back to it. I, I think we go ahead and go to Casablanca, and, and what happens there, and then we'll get to New York for the finale, which will include the the in essence the last interaction with the adjudicator and Winston and then John and Zero and and the the final fights but we've got the whole Casablanca Sophia uh, storyline which is incredible we we see a revisit of the marker Mm -hmm. but this time John is calling in a marker and that's the one that he retrieved from the book in New York yep so okay, we we get to Casablanca, and uh, John is is promised that he will not be harmed while mm-hmm. he's there. Mm-hmm. Of course, that of course that doesn't stop someone from trying to uh, to pop a cap, as yeah, it were. Yeah. And and he's he's quickly smacked down. Yeah. Uh, so we're at, uh, I guess it's the the Continental there, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Uh huh. And and Sophia is the manager of this particular hotel yes, but we don't yes, really yes. learn about how she got to how she got to that position uh or, or what she did to earn that position um and again that's just one of those things that's that's folded into the depths of the story that may or may not be revealed in time which i think is great i don't think you have to i, I in, in movies or in storytelling i don't think it's necessary that you go into every single detail no about an individual and their role in no, a particular story. No, absolutely not. No, it, and and I say that only because I know that there are things out there 
that probably do expand on it. Again, mm-hmm. there's a we've spoken about the comics, um, but we've also I don't think we mentioned uh, Hex, which is the John Wick video game. Um, so there there are things that may be revealed in that. I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. that I mean that was the big thing about the Last Jedi. Um, and and it's the references made to other Star Wars movies. Everyone was so bent out of shape because they didn't know who Snoke was. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I don't want to get into a big discussion about the successes and failures of those films here, but I mean, that's not really a bad thing. When we watched Return of the Jedi, did we know who the Emperor was and what he was all about? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. It was implied that there were certain things, but you didn't need to know that for mm-hmm. the story mm-hmm. to move forward. Yeah, yeah. And and the demand to know every little detail in my mind is, is just kind of silly and, and immature, frankly. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, but Sophia is great. She... The way that she interacts with John and Sophia, of course, uh, played by Halle Berry, um, there's clearly a history there, and you can tell that she she may not have all she she may have everything but respect for John, mm-hmm. uh, given uh, given their history together. Now, in the film, I believe that it's Sophia's daughter that John somehow got out of a very bad situation and that's why Sophia owes John yes, but uh-huh. it's it's done so that debt is very grudgingly paid and that seems to be a trend yeah and <laughs> in, in these films well you that, you've got to imagine that you have to be pretty desperate to request a, a, a marker from someone right because you don't know what the repayment will be mm-hmm. and and, and Chances are you're a very capable, industrious individual to begin with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. John is John is in Casablanca because he's looking for the elder, mm-hmm. which again is a character that we just don't know that much about. All we know is that he's above the high table, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, in in pursuit of the elder, he needs Sophia's help. Now this is where I started to get kind of lost because <laughs> Sophia. <laughs> Sophia takes John to see Barada, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who I, I think he is the he's the facilitator uh, of the gold coins. That now that the mint the 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 place where they mint those coins that's Barada's joint. Is yeah, that correct? Yes, and the markers. The, okay. Yeah, he mints the the coins and the markers. Okay, so maybe you can clear this up. Why is it that they have to go see? Barada. What is it that? What is Sophia's relationship to Barada? I, I um, my only guess is that Sophia is the closest to Barada, and Barada is the gatekeeper to the elder. Okay. That that was now. That, that's how I viewed it, and and that's why John says, "Just get me to talk to him. That's all you have to right. do. I'm not asking you for anything other than that. Just get me so I can talk to him." But it's never that easy. No, no, no. Okay, so that I'll I'll take that. Okay, so this character is played by, um, gosh, what is that actor's name? Jerome Flynn. Is that does that sound right? Um, I yeah. I can't remember. It's Jerome it's Braun Flynn. from Game yeah, of Thrones. Yeah. Game of Thrones. It's Braun, mm-hmm. one of the, one of my favorite characters ever. <laughs> uh, even more so after uh, he was portrayed in the show by Jerome Flynn, because that's not at all how I imagined him. 
uh, in the novels, but I think I like the the uh, Game of Thrones Game of Thrones television Braun mm. a, a mm-hmm. lot better. He's he's very likable in both, but Jerome Flynn is incredibly charismatic. Um, and in this, he has what I can only describe as a very Bela Lugosi vibe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that's all about, but I really liked it. Um, not a cool character, though. Not a good guy. No, not at all. No, and that that leads us to the inevitable failure of a simple meet and greet that <laughs> uh, that that John wanted to have, right? Yeah. Um, so, in his spiel and dealings with John and Sophia, he kind of leans on the idea that there's, you know, somebody does something for you, you do something for them. Um, you know, to, to show your loyalty or fealty, fealty, as it were. Yeah, fealty. And, uh, and Barada asks for one of Sophia's dogs that we, that we see that she keeps and is very close to. And, of course, she refuses. And uh, Barada just straight up shoots the dog, I guess unknowingly, um, or, or uh, it's un- unbeknownst to Barada, the dogs are, uh, are wearing bulletproof, yeah, little bulletproof yeah. vests. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I mean, so all hell breaks loose because immediately Sophia retaliates by shooting Barada. So this, this whole scenario, um, again, the action sequences in these movies are just tremendous, but I cannot get over the, the fight choreography that includes these dogs as actors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is just tremendous to me. The, the bit of trivia that, that I learned about about that fight sequences, and, and I don't know how much of it was filmed together, um, mm-hmm. but what my understanding is is that they filmed a lot of it at the same time because it was so complicated that mm-hmm. that camera set up and they were able to seam it together, of course. Uh, but Halle Berry trained her rear off in anticipation for this movie and did an incredible job and she also had to train those dogs so in addition to her action training she had to train those dogs so in a normal movie of course you've got the trainers there on set uh, as they did in this case but those dogs were trained to respond to Sophia legitimately Mm -hmm. And you can see that they they're responding to the commands by Halle, Halle Berry during these action sequences, and that's an incredible um, feat both from an actor standpoint, where you've got so much going on. Um, we never give an action sequence of the choreography its full due, and they're extremely difficult. You've got lines. Oh, yeah. You've got marks you've got a lot going on you've got to reload if you've in in making a film you you do get nervous of course and that's why you have to do the the business it's called over and over again and they did an incredible job and hats off to everyone involved in in those sequences absolutely and i to to me one of the most impressive things about that is that you know regardless of how well trained anyone is um, it, especially the dogs, there has got to be uh, a certain degree of adaptability mm-hmm. of of all the actors present, as well as the cast and crew. So when you see something like that, you just have to imagine 
how much of what we got on camera was uh, adapted to, improvised, and different, perhaps, from what they had planned mm-hmm. for it to be. Mm-hmm. You know, how much of that do you see on screen uh, that was just, you know, the, the magic of the film coming together and not necessarily the way it was presented on paper? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just to know that all of that takes place in a scene like that or sequences like that is just mind-boggling to me. And, uh, and as you said, th- it just doesn't seem like those aspects of filmmaking are ever really taken into consideration. You know, it's so much more than just showing up on set or on a soundstage and, and reading the words and, and, you know, tumbling here and there. <laughs> Act, acting, is, acting is difficult, and that's why there's so few people who do it very well. It, it is very difficult to do. Yeah, I, I do get bent out of shape sometimes when people... Uh, minimize the work that actors put into their craft and the time that they spend perfecting it. Because, uh, you know, in one hand, do do I think that it's one of those that do do I think that actors should get paid more than teachers? No, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I don't. But on the other hand, I don't think that they get the credit that they deserve for the work that they put into what they do. Yeah, mo- most actors um, don't get paid a lot, and um, most people who act, and including myself, when I did it, I just did it for the experience. I, I enjoyed uh, my time in the theater. Oh, yeah, absolutely, and I, I 100% support that and, and, and can get behind that, and you can really see... And, and you you know that there are people that if they weren't making uh, movie star money, as it were, they would and do continue to act. Oh yeah. Uh, re- regardless of of you know the uh, what's the word I'm looking for the status mm-hmm. of the production. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I I would imagine Patrick Stewart, for example, when he was doing Royal Shakespeare, he was not a household name, but he. he oh no. He and Ian McKellen um, have been doing this for a long, long time, and they're incredible performers. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) and two very fine human beings. I might add, (laughs) they they are some of my favorite people that I've never actually met. (laughs) But uh, I can I definitely feel like I've known them, and I would very gladly sit down and share a pint with the two of them. As detailed as that was, is there anything that you wanted to add about that sequence? No, I, I think it was an important um, part because we get Sophia, um, and, and I think that sequence is very good. We get get John out to the desert. Um, no, I, 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 you can, as we said, you can spend hours talking about these individual sequences and the beauty associated with them, the craft, all of that. But um, for the sake of time. John, sure, John yeah. follows the dog star till he can't go anymore, and that's where we meet the elder. Yeah, that was those were the instructions that Barada gave him. What, what was it? Follow the dog star. What is that? Serious. Serious. The dog star. Yeah. And that, to walk into the desert where until he can't take another step, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the elder will find you or he won't. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so that is an incredible leap of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do want to mention before we talk about John in the desert, the the parting of Sophia and John. Oh yeah, was, yeah. 
very telling of of their relationship. She doesn't even she doesn't give him a whole bottle of water. She drinks most of it. Yeah. <laughs> spits what's left into a bottle and gives it to John. <laughs> That's cold, man. It is. I, I saw that and I was like, oh man. That is <laughs> You're right. That is that is hardcore. Yeah. So, and and that's the thing too. It's uh, you know, I'm I'm a grown ass man, and bodily fluids don't bother me. Um, but uh, it it's the principle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the principle that means something when somebody spits at you, on you, or into uh, the water that will presumably keep you alive <laughs> as you're walking through the desert. That might be worse. Now that I think about it. But, uh, but yeah, this is really interesting because in uh, I did a Star Wars episode um, that, that is out now. I haven't really been I haven't really been promoting it um, as, it, as it was recorded and, and I was in the process of promoting it. The country blew up mm. um, and, uh, and I decided that I was going to take this time to, uh, to not promote myself on Instagram, but instead, uh, try to be a, a more supportive of the black community and, and people of color that are experiencing some crazy ass shit right mm-hmm. now. And, and, you know, we're all kind of a part of that. And I didn't really want to get into all that in the course of this conversation, but one thing does lead to another. And uh, so that episode is out there, but I'm not going to be promoting it uh, probably until um, I don't know when, honestly, I'm just kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of done with uh with with some of the things on social media mm-hmm. right now but but needless to say i will get it out there and you know i'll get back to my usual jovial self mm-hmm. um but uh in that episode we did a new hope and uh i decided since everybody and their brothers probably seen that movie i wanted to do something a little different and uh, i wanted to talk about the film in terms of uh campbell's the hero's journey and, and how lucas utilized that for a new hope so basically, in that Star Wars episode, we're following Luke's point of view. And that was interesting after doing that and then watching John Wick 3 and sort of seeing how not every single story follows those steps um, in order. So I, I tried to kind of look at that in terms of John Wick, and I thought that this was, this was definitely that crossing of the threshold for John. Um, or or the the leap into and or over the abyss, mm-hmm. and that like he he literally risked everything, mm-hmm. um, not really even having a good idea of what the outcome would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times the desert is used as a symbol or metaphor for that abyss mm-hmm. in a story. So I thought that was really cool, and I don't know if they did that deliberately. Um, I'm sure they did. I mean, that's the whole point of the monomyth is that we do all these things subconsciously uh, when we're writing. Um, so whether it was intentional or not, I thought it was really cool. And I just wanted to mm-hmm. to make mm-hmm. that point and throw that out mm-hmm. there. Um, but, of course, we paid good money to see this, so we know John's not going to die in the desert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so he is, he is discovered by the Elder, and he wakes up in this, uh, in this tent – in in the middle of the desert, which I just I still can't get over how cool that is. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> like where where the hell are they? Uh is there actually like a city behind one dune to the <laughs> west, you know? <laughs> like, um, I don't know. 
just kind of funny to think about. But I, I, I don't... How would you describe this? Because we see the elder, and I have no idea who this dude is or, or what he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what, is your, what, are, what are your thoughts on this scene and this scenario between John Wick and, and the elder? Well, I just think it adds to the mythology or mysticism of the high table. We don't know who these people are. We don't know where they came from. You, you've got a, a yogi figure, if you will, out in the desert instead of on a mountaintop, and John's going there to seek wisdom and absolution. Uh, so that's what John does. He goes to seek wisdom and absolution. Um, again, I, not to, again, no way being critical. It's a device. We always wondered how would John get out in how, right. or, or how would he get back? And so this device where he goes to, as you said, a supreme leader, he goes out on this um, uh, voyage, um, which is used throughout literature, as you described. You go out uh, into the desert, uh, it's biblical in a sense, to find yourself. And John finds the elder and he begs for re-entry into the life. I, I serve, <laughs> what does he say? I serve... Yeah. Uh, and I will, uh, be, of will service. be of service. And the the last remnant of John's former life is the wedding ring that he cuts Correct. off his finger. And, and, and you're thinking John now is going to go kill Winston because he wants to right. get back. He, he, he wants to go back to at least what he can, as he says, so he can remember. Right. And that that is all... It, to me, the emotional impact of that was tremendous because I thought, just what was all this for? Yeah. You know, like, what was the point of all of this, this sacrifice and this killing and bloodshed and, and pain? Uh, and, and even the elder says, I've never seen a man fight so hard to end up where he started. Yeah. And, and remember, Sophia said, John, you're going to die one way or the other. Right. You are going to die. Right. And and to me, when she said that, I at first I thought, oh, you're going to die in your mission. But then I thought about it and I was like, well, does she just mean in general, like everyone is going to die? Like, you know, life is a zero sum game. Mm -hmm. We're all going to die. So is it really do you want to put this much effort into this? I, I think um, in, in my mind, it, it's why are you pursuing this? Because mm -hmm. it is a a worthless cause. You, you're you're not going to succeed. You're going to die. Why continue to pursue this? And and that's that's how I feel. What what I feel she was referring to. Gotcha. And it's it's somewhat alluded to later um, when he gets back to New York and he goes and sees Winston. He, Winston says, "How do you want to be remembered? You're going to, basically he says you're going to die. How do you you want to go about that? Do you want to? Uh, I forget what Winston says, but how, mm, how do you want yeah. to go out? Yeah, he would go out as a killer or a man who loved and was yeah, loved yeah. by his wife. Mm -hmm. So now they're back in the Continental. Uh, well, John gets back and he's well. He immediately is accosted, but this go round his assailants." are uh 
dispatched uh-huh. before they before they get an opportunity yeah, yeah, to do anything right. by Zero and his men. And that's important, I think. Uh, definitely want to get to the Continental um, a little bit quickly, but I, I do want to point that out because it's the first time that Zero meets John, and John doesn't know who this guy mm-hmm. is. Yeah, <laughs> he yeah. doesn't know him from Adam. But he apparently seems to be a very big fan of John's, <laughs> yeah. which I just love. You know, um, they're about to, you know, they're they're in the train station and, and they're about to get down to business. They're about to fight. But then there's like a, a school field trip that comes between them. Uh-huh. And then they they disperse. And Zero says to John something to the effect of, see, that's the difference. I wouldn't have stopped. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't know if they envy that quality in john or if they just respect it it's it's hard to say i i I think um my initial read on that was as much as they respect john that that line i wouldn't have stopped as it relates to john in my mind is that they think less of john because of that really yeah i that's that's my impression of that as much as respect they have for john i i think zero um does respect John as a, a fighter. Um, as mm-hmm. he says, you and I are the same. We deal in death. But but I think um, it's so important to Zero that he feels superior to John. And I think that's very, uh-huh. very important uh, as as they go through this. So, yeah, and, and I definitely want to comment on that as we get closer to, to the film's climax. But it's actually that fight with Zero that takes us to the Continental. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're um, right. And, you're and, right. Once again, people have to be reminded that they may not conduct business on continental grounds yeah. because it's con- which I don't know because it's consecrated. Yeah. Um, but it just—it's funny to me that we keep finding ourselves in that scenario mm-hmm. <laughs> where people are always bringing a fight to the continental's doorstep. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this actually brings us pretty much um, right to that conversation with with uh, Winston that you that you had mentioned and and uh, he, he he presents that that scenario to John that he is gonna die um, and then we we also have the adjudicators return to the Continental so this ties or brings the story back to it uh, it ties those those two storylines together mm-hmm. um, so we one of the things that we did forget to mention is that in pledging fealty to the elder with his ring and ring finger, uh, the elder also demands that John kill Winston. Mm-hmm. And he agrees to do that. Which I actually, now that I think about it, I think you did say that, but I don't think we mentioned that um, that it was the elder that, that told him that that was something yeah. that must be yeah. done. So yeah. we have like this, we have like this, uh, this very westernist, uh, or not uh, that westernist, uh, that's a, a Middle Earth term, sorry, uh, western-ish, I think would be a better way to describe the sort of face-off that we have now between Winston, uh, John, and the adjudicator, and Zero. So Winston knows John's there to kill him. John knows that Winston has an obligation to kill him, and then you have the adjudicator who's just waiting for one of them to kill the other. I don't even know what you call that. It's not exactly a standoff because everyone does seem to demonstrate a certain degree of patience, with the exception of Zero, mm-hmm. who I think is just really itching to get at John. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Winston refuses to kill John. He refuses to step down. 
So the adjudicator deconsecrates the continental, as we had uh, discussed previously, which which means officially that business can be conducted on continental grounds. If if I've got that correct, that is true, and and yeah, and and so uh, of course um, Winston has convinced John to side with him to stand for the continental and protect the continental, and so John and Sharon. Are, go down with Winston to the bunker, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I, I was amazed. You had two buses roll up. Where do these guys? Mm-hmm. Where are these guys on a day-to-day basis? They, they've got what? You mean like what do they do? Yeah, you've got <laughs> so you've got these two busloads of assassins who show up at the Continental, right? And didn't anybody well, notice one option... that? Didn't anybody notice that? I, they're probably on standby. I imagine that okay, you have two 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 possible scenarios. They're at home, you know, they're cooking dinner, flipping burgers for the wife and kids, and they get a page. page. Okay. Um, the other possibility is that they're like firemen, uh-huh. and you know, they rotate shifts so that a certain amount of them are on call, right? Yeah. And then you know, there's an emergency, and then they roll out, and they you know, there's no fuss, no muss. They can be there, you know, lickety split. Yeah, yeah. Just, I'm just spitballing. I don't know. <laughs> it makes sense. I don't know. It makes me. I'm partial to the idea of leaving the cookout with the wife and kids and neighbors and going to like get your brain splattered against a wall by John Wick. Yeah. But <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So yeah. That's that's the scenario that we're in now. We have basically three guys against a small army and a ninja, mm-hmm. uh, which really just doesn't sound like good odds at all. But I mean, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. Once we got to this point, I kind of felt like I, I've watched this movie before. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, there wasn't really anything about the gunplay or the fight because it was like I'm watching it and I'm like, you know, I know they're gonna come out on top. Uh, Sharon might die. That would really bum me out. Mm. Winston might die. That would also really bum me out. But I know John's not going to die. Mm. So it didn't seem like they spent very much time on that either. Because um, you, you move through it pretty quickly. So my attitude towards it was probably about the same as theirs as far as uh, the filmmaking or storytelling was concerned. Progressing, uh, progressing the film. We have one thing that I wanted to mention about about Zero and John and, and Zero's men. And I want to ask you what your thoughts on this are. Is it, is it frustrating to you? Because it's incredibly frustrating to me when you, when you have a hero like John Wick, and, and I only mean hero in the sense that he's the protagonist. Um, like, he, he could, like, that would have been the end of it for him. Those guys could have taken him out, mm-hmm. like, right then and right there. But they decided not to. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, I think John is in a pool, and he's he's in a in a close up or point blank gun battle with one of the guys, and he gets up out of the pool, and Zero I think uh, dispatches one of the yeah. guys that would have taken a shot yeah, at John, yeah. and he says, you know, you die by my sword, uh-huh, John, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> and that that just irks me so much because it's just like that would have been the end of it right then and there, like. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's I mean, just, I get it. yeah, it's just so much monologuing in, in a form. 
I, I get it, but it's 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 frustrating to me. But we we get to the point now where it's John Wick versus Zero, and two of his I don't even know if you call them henchmen because they're just, just badass dudes yeah. that <laughs> yeah. again probably could have defeated John, um, but knew that uh, but knew that that Zero had made that call. So I loved that fight with those guys because like. John was doing it because he had to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but these guys were loving yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was so amazing to me to there, watch. They were having fun. Yeah, there's a lot of mutual respect and the way they all dealt with each other and, and, and how it ends where those two guys live, which no nobody else John fought other than Common in the second movie, he lets live. Mm-hmm. He says, I'll be seeing you. Yes. And, and that to me was incredibly cool, yeah, yeah. Um, because also they did they did afford him that same respect mm-hmm. and opportunity as they were fighting. Because when they were speaking to each other, and again it was subtitled, um, but they were like, "He's he's getting old." Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. he's like, "Well, you know, he has been retired for five yeah. years. It's still John Wick." <laughs> yeah, and I believe and, yeah, I believe that's Ty. They're speaking Ty. And John, um, Keanu had to learn uh, his lines and able to articulate those in Thai. How many languages did he have to learn? Russian, I'm wondering. Yeah, who knows? Italian. Yeah, Italian. Yeah, pretty quite, cool. quite, quite a bit. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it, and it, I love the fact also that he still sounds like Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> need, need to work on that inflection, yeah. bud. Um, but yeah, that that fight to me was just a joy. That was probably my favorite part of the movie. Um, I will say that I don't care for all the glass, though. I find that incredibly distracting. Uh, it was hard. It was literally difficult for me to watch at times, mm-hmm. um, just because I guess my my brain don't work so good mm-hmm. anymore, and uh, it, it it kind of induced a bit of vertigo and and there was a little bit of confusion. Apart from that, loved it. Yeah. So we got the last battle now. Zero versus John, or John versus Zero, yeah. depending on how you want to look at that. You want to you want to take the lead on well, this one. Well, it, it's just a a classic one v one situation, and uh, again, Zero really thinks that he has John on the ropes, and he's poor John, as you described, and we're talking about another fight. John is just so tired; he's fought for weeks on end, and and Zero's playing with him initially, and then John. Um, what's the line? I forgive me. I don't. Really, he is a man of of determination. Yeah, focused, focused determination, determination and sheer yeah. will. <laughs> he just the the fight shifts. I forget at what point it shifts. John takes the upper hand, and and John's not playing with zero. He takes that sword and runs him through. Right. And and, and zero. He's not convinced that he's down for the yeah, count though. Yeah. And it. If he is, he's pretending. I'm just catching my breath. I'll, I'll be. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I just have to catch my breath, and I'll be right with you. And John says, "No, you won't." <laughs> yeah. So I, I gotta say, I really do. I, I like the character of Zero. Uh-huh. I don't. I do feel like he is a lot like John, as he says that he is. I think that if this movie were about Zero, you would like him just as much as you like John. Yeah, I, I think the difference, yes, I, I, I think he, 
uh, especially when they're sitting on the sofa. He says, you know, I'm a big fan. I, I, mm-hmm. I, yeah, there's an element where you go, hey, this guy's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, no, I... And, and I don't even know if he was being completely serious when he was like, I wouldn't have stopped yeah, in, yeah. in referring to the kids because he did, yeah, yeah. clearly. <laughs> you yeah. Know? So, yeah, I think it's interesting when you pit two characters against one another that are the same. Because um, you kind of had that with Common mm-hmm. um, in, in the previous film. And, and that their, relation, their relationship was, I think, better for that. Um, and, and I think if you, you wrap it all up again, you've got movies where you've got filmmakers who have a, a really good story. They they go to the time, effort, and and money to give you the scene, the scenes, and then you've got mm-hmm. actors who execute it all in a, a, a tremendous fashion. Where you you. Each of these individuals that we meet are full fleshed out characters, whether it's one line TikTok John Wick or or mm-hmm. it's it's the role of Zero or the adjudicator. The adjudicator, the, her, uh, their dialogue is is relatively minor, but you certainly get sure. their point. You know exactly what they're there for. Absolutely. I, you know what? On, on that point, uh, because there, there have been a few references uh to the adjudicator uh when, when we talk about the actor um gosh i am forgetting her Aisha name dylan, dylan their name right so when you're speaking and let me just ask you your opinion on this because i don't know if there is um i don't know where this is at when you have uh, a person that is non-binary and they're playing a character where where does that bleed where like where's the crossover because i know they play a character in billions i think mm-hmm. where the character is non-binary mm-hmm. and and doesn't use you know uh, he she pronouns mm-hmm. so i know at, at different points in the conversation i've referred to the adjudicator as she and then of course um dylan is they so i'm always wondering like what what is what is the correct thing to do there? Because I always want to be as respectful and inclusive as I can. Well, the um, the only reason I knew that they identified as non-binary is I read an interview with them, and I, I wanted to show respect for the individual. I think the distinction is where there is a, 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 a clear distinction made. For example, in Orange is the New Black, that is that that character is female because they're in a female prison, and I, right. I don't think there's any way um, uh, that that character is elaborated on the way that the the transgender character. And forgive me for not remembering that that wonderful actor's name and the Laverne, Laverne Cox and the role that they play. She she plays. So the distinction is Laverne Cox identifies as she. And out of right. respect for that that person, you would I, you would refer to her as she. Uh, again, uh, Asia K. Dillon, out of respect for that individual, knowing from reading about them, wants to be respectful to their wishes, and therefore, uh, because it's not clear, clear in the movie, right. and it doesn't need to be clear, there's no reason to 
make a distinction. Gotcha. And I'm, I'm totally on board with that. And the only reason I wanted to point that out, in, in addition to some of the ways in which I've referred to that character over the course of the conversation, I think that, and you'll have to forgive me, I don't remember if this was a conversation that we had personally on the telephone or if it was a different um, conversation that we had uh, in the context of the show. But one of the things that I've noticed is that, you know, you you really should make the effort at this point because I've noticed that being a comic fan and, and being um, you know, a comic book fan, movie fan, being on social media, Facebook, Instagram, things like that, it's one of those things that people tend to gloss over because they don't see it as a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, referring to different people by whatever pronoun or like the common pronoun um, just because it doesn't seem like a big deal to them personally. But in our conversation, we were talking about the idea that that's one of the problems that you have um, when society starts to evolve, but you stay the same mm-hmm. age. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you can get left behind very quickly uh, absolutely. If, you, if you refuse to adapt to the way that, that people change and, and some of the some of the choices that they're asking you to make based on who they are and and what they're about. So, you know, very, very, very small, minor, minor example would be my name is Steven, but I go by Steve and and Mm -hmm. I, I do not want to be called Steven. And that's a very, so it's very personal to me. And so out of respect, sure. If an individual, um, for example, Asia Kate Dillon, if if that's how they want to be referenced, then yes, I respect that, and I, I, I yeah, absolutely. That's that's one of the things that when I first started doing this show, I didn't want to get into politics mm-hmm. or anything like that. But you know what? At this point, especially given current events in in the country, and not only the country but the world now, literally the world, um, I decided to just throw that completely out the window. And if and if you're listening to the show or you're remotely interested in the Sleeping Giant, the Sleeping Giant podcast, but you get pissed off uh, whenever I decide to share uh, an opinion or or do get political, then I, I just want to calmly but firmly suggest that you get fucked. <laughs> All right, so moving moving along, um, we have the defeat of John. John has defeated Zero, and I do, I love his enthusiasm. Uh, I'll repeat again that I love Zero, and, uh, and I love the line that he says through, through a, a, a mouthful of blood. That was a pretty good fight. Huh, John? John? <laughs> pretty good fight, huh, John? Yeah. You know, and that just—I I love it. He's—he's got—a—he—he's uh, got an easygoing, I think, approach to life that that we could all probably benefit <laughs> from, just a little bit. Um, but that—I mean—that pretty much signals the end of the conflict for this film, but the beginning of the conflict yeah. for the next story. So the adjudicator goes, it meets Winston on the roof after they request a parlay. So the adjudicator, Winston, and Sharona on the roof, and the adjudicator says, you cannot, what, is, what, is the, what do they say? You cannot win? Uh, basically, they, they put it to them that 
that they can do this they all do day. They do this all day. That's right. You do this all day. That's pretty yeah. much that it was just, uh, and I forget the, the military term or the combat term for, for what uh, um, what was said. But basically that's what it amounted to was that that was just the first wave. Yeah. They can do this all day. There's no way that they're going to yeah, win. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Winston makes a counterproposal mm-hmm. uh, to which the adjudicator then realizes that everything that they just did was a demonstration of strength. Mm-hmm. So then basically they they allow with with pledged repledged fealty Winston to maintain his position and keep the continental and have it reconsecrated. But the catch of course is that there's the problem of John Wick and what to do with him. What do we do with him? I, and I can't remember exactly what Winston says. He says something like, oh, he's got to die, die or something like that. And John's got that look on his face. What, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, that I will say. I did not see that I, coming. I, and I really I, hope. I, I didn't either. I hope that Winston just knew that John would be like, hey, I got no choice. I know you can take it. You know, uh, kind of like the what do you call it? Like the the Batman Dark Knight scenario. Mm-hmm. You you turn on him and you make him the villain because he can take it. I'm hoping that's the case. I really hope that Winston did not betray John I, I because I love that character. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think I I, w- I would like to hope that it was a plot that they had planned it. Yeah, yeah. But like you said, that that look on John's face. That's the only part that gives me pause. But then the other part of that is that when the adjudicator says to Winston, his body is gone. He's like, oh, imagine that. No, he says, (laughs) what what they say is, John Wick is gone. And Winston says it's tragedy or something, isn't it? Right. No, his body's gone. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be overly concerned with that fact. So, I mean, but then again, Winston is so relaxed and groovy yeah. that even if he thought that John was coming for him, he he knows that it's inevitable and he's not going to resist it or, or, or I guess be afraid of it, I guess is what yeah. I mean to say. I'm sure he would resist it, but he would not fear John. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, I think there's more to come. Oh yeah, it, definitely. I do want to see how yeah. that plays out with their relationship. It, um, but the, the end of the film I guess what leads us into into the next one is that, and, and we didn't mention this, but the Bowery King's penance for uh, Aiden and Abedin was seven cuts, seven cuts for the seven bullets that he gave to John. So uh, when he was still among the living, Zero gave him seven precise cuts with his wakasaji and uh, jacked the Bowery King up pretty mm-hmm. good. So that uh, John's body... Uh, it went missing because I think it was the TikTok. It was. Man. It was Jason Manzukis. Um, yeah. Yep. Picked. It. God, that still trips me out. Jason Manzukis for no reason yeah, whatsoever. Exactly. <laughs> he 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 picks John up, takes him to the Bowery King, and we see that the Bowery King is is recovering from those wounds, mm-hmm. and has not yet gotten back to one hundred percent. But. Uh, what what does he say to John? Are you, Are pissed, you pissed, John? I'm pissed. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the that's the end of the film, and and it definitely left me wanting the next one, which I guess we're gonna have to wait till 2022 um, now to see that film. That's a bummer. It, it is. Yeah, we're it, they're gonna run out of content um, 
all these different services are going to run out of content. We're going to see a lot of back catalog uh, items. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was reading about the the next movie uh, earlier this evening, and I read that uh, Chad Stahelski was saying that he had a ton of footage that he cut from John Wick 3. Mm-hmm. That uh, he said it was perfectly serviceable, and he didn't see any reason why it could not be repurposed mm-hmm. and put into John Wick yeah, Four. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah, that to me that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. That. Um, but yeah, I'm excited because, uh, and I think we we mentioned this before in a telephone conversation earlier that it's uh, Morpheus and Neo back at mm-hmm. it. I one one um, thing before we go, just a a, a fun sure. fun bit of trivia. When uh, Winston, Sharon, and John are in the in the bunker, and Winston asks John, "What does he need?" and mm-hmm. John says, "Guns." Oh, guns! Lots of guns. Lots of guns. Yes, that was from the, the Matrix, Matrix, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. That was the exact yeah, line. It was. It was. Now I I had uh, I had also uh, become privy to this wackadoodle theory that I had never heard before. Um, that I guess that the new Matrix movie and the new John Wick movie were supposed to come out uh, at the same time, oh. and that there was going to be some John Wick Matrix tie-in where the worlds were going to oh coincide my. or oh whatever. <laughs> it's like that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, like there are some far-out theories yeah. that uh, that fans come up with, but I could not get that. That to me, that would totally undermine. John Wick completely and I just I couldn't have anything to do with that (laughs) just couldn't do it but I'm definitely looking forward to it definitely looking to see what the Bowery King and John cook up together Mm -hmm. because they weren't exactly amiable with one another but now they have a reason to uh, now they have a reason to team up and join forces so I think that's going to be really cool Um, and then, of course, I'm wondering uh, where it's going to go with Ian McShane and Winston. Are we going to see the Adjudicator again? Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that we learn more about the High Table and and what that's all about. Um, and really, uh, in in an article that I read earlier today, while I was uh, doing a last bit of last minute research with this film, Chad Stahelski made the the point that you and I were talking about before. He was like, you know, where is all this going to end? Because mm-hmm. uh, Keanu Reeves is 54 and we can't keep doing this to the man. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's got to end. Yeah. It's got to end naturally and gracefully. Um, because, yeah, I don't, I don't want to see old John Wick. And I don't think anybody wants to see that. And I want to see Keanu Reeves doing the stunts if... If it's not going to be Keanu Reeves, then that takes away from the yeah, magic of exactly. of John Wick. Yeah. But yeah, that was a fun movie. I think um, out of the three of them, I think that the second one has probably been my favorite. But this one is more fun, mm-hmm. I guess, mm-hmm. because it's just so wacky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all but, they're uh, all good. I think uh, for me, the first one just because it was new, uh, the characters mm-hmm. new, the the whole. Uh, se- the, the whole scenario was new, but each succeeding one is, as you describe, I think it's a very apt term. It's just fun. It, just go and watch and, and enjoy it. Let it, let it, wa- yeah. let it wash over you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the first movie, um, the first movie is definitely the more solid picture. Yeah, yeah. It's more cohesive. Uh-huh. Um, it's from a filmmaking and storytelling standpoint. I think that it's superior 
Um, which reminds me, actually, that one thing that John Wick 3 is missing is a uh, techno rave dance party <laughs> scene. I, I thought they were going to complete the triptych yeah. um, with, with that dance party, but they never did. Yeah. Um, oh, well. But yeah, so I guess Dad will just have to wait a couple years before we can do um, our John Wick 4 episode. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh well. Yep. Oh well. I'm sure that we'll have plenty to talk yep, about absolutely. between now and then. Absolutely. All right. Well, I will catch up with you next time, Dad. Thanks oh, again for doing this. You're so welcome. You're so always a pleasure. Yes, always sir. A pleasure. All right. You have a good night. You too. Well, that was more fun than a stub toe. I feel pretty certain that I can guarantee that. I've been a bit aggravated, though, because there's no more JW. But as we said in the show, there is no shortage of great content out there. So there's always that. Now, before I go, I want to mention that I've included some links in the show notes that may be helpful to you, such as places that you can donate to support Black Lives Matter and others in need during this time of crisis in America. Also, I've dropped a link to an article from The Trevor Project that can, if you read it, perhaps better educate you on how to be a uh, more helpful ally to our transgender and non-binary family, friends, and neighbors. I consider myself a pretty open-minded fellow, but there was a bunch of shit that I did not know. And, um, you know, I'm pleased to say that I was able to to fill this noggin with a little bit more info and and try to be a better person and try to be more helpful person to the people around me. So, uh, yeah, check that out. Once more, I've been your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte, y'all. Thank you for listening to the Sleeping Giant Podcast, and until next time. (laughs) 